to Life Conversations, where we explore what it means to live fully in marriage, in motherhood, and in meaningful work. Hello, and welcome back to Life Conversations. It's Marissa, and I'm here with our very special guest, Katie Hamilton. We're missing Tracy today, but she'll be back next time. So Katie is a very dear friend of mine, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with her today. We first met about 16 years ago. Uh, Katie was pregnant with her son, and mine was just a newbie, and we have an amazing group of girlfriends that um, go on lots of adventures together, and I really appreciate Katie's friendship. I love doing life with her. Um, she's just one of those people that has such a calming presence. She is smart and insightful and articulate. And I think what I love and admire most about Katie is she just has a way of bringing out the best in people. Um, so I just wanted to share her professional bio with all of you listeners. So Katie is the founder of Tavola Strategy Group. Katie is recognized as a senior leader and strategic communicator. Her professional interest is helping public serving organizations change how they do business, how they involve their communities, and how they engage their staff in creating cultures that support positive change and deliver high value services. Katie is an ambassador for positive change with a leadership style that is team-based and collaborative. She naturally challenges the status quo, rolls up her sleeves to solve problems and helps great ideas come to life. She's known as being calm in a storm, a strategic thinker, customer focused and practical. She's proven in her ability to build relationships and lead teams, review and develop transformative organizational systems and standards for reporting, customer service, communications and public engagement. Prior to management consulting, Katie worked as a senior leader within and with public sector organizations for over 15 years, leading broad service areas, including strategic and operational planning, communications and citizen engagement, including open government initiatives and media relations. So welcome, Katie. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. You know, it's interesting. We've been friends for a long time Mm -hmm. and the nature of our relationship is that we really talk about it all, mm-hmm. right? Everything mm-hmm. we're going through, mm-hmm. um, our struggles, our wins, our family, our careers. But um, I'm excited to have this conversation because I don't think I've ever asked you some of these questions in such a direct way. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to share. And I think it's going to bring a lot of value. Me too. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Okay. So why don't we start off for the listeners, just share a bit of your story with us. Um, who you are, who your people are, what are some of your favorite things in life? Um, I'll start off by saying I probably have an easier time talking about other people or sharing their stories than I do my own. Um, I think that's sort of just a natural trait many have. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess my core, I'm a mom. Um, I'm a mom to a son. I'm a stepmom to two daughters, a wife. Um, You know, I own a small consultancy. I love food. I have a great group of friends, of which you're a big part of. Um, you know, I, I'm trying my hand at all of the, the little things that I didn't do when I was younger. So becoming a, a better baker, a better gardener, um, being better at, you know, getting 
my health and, and balance in order. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, really family and work and community are probably the, the three pieces or sort of intersections in my life that I try to keep really near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of kind of where I spend most of my focus. Love it. Um, let's talk a little bit more about motherhood to start off with. Um, tell us what the journey of motherhood has meant for you. Um, what are the biggest things that you would say you've learned about yourself through the journey? Well, obviously the best thing that I've ever done was having kids, um, having the one anyways. And then I think being able to be a stepmom to two others is also a gift that probably a gift I never planned or expected, but a gift nonetheless. Um, my journey has been a little bit different because I sort of the, the vision of, you know, being a mom and a family was, ended up being a little bit different for me than what I Mm -hmm. had envisioned Mm -hmm. originally. I ended up being a single mom when I was, um, my son was a year old. And so that kind of like dismantled sort of what I thought it was going to be. Um, but I also only know my own experience. So I don't know how different it was from what others experience as young parents and, and trying to navigate it all. I think it's messy and, you know, it's a winding road regardless, but yeah. Um, but I think what it's taught me is that I think your kids, you know, you think you're going to teach your kids all of these things and then they end up teaching you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I learn more now from trying to be the best parent I can be than than I I probably ever thought I would. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it's my best work. It's my favorite work, Um, regardless of the path that I've been on or anyone's on. I, I, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't change any part of it. So let's go back to the time when your son was young and you were a single mom and working full time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, From the outside looking in, that seems super challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, What were at that time in your life the biggest challenges? And then also, are you able at this point now, looking back, are you able to see like what the gift in that Mm -hmm. time of your life was? It was definitely the hardest part of my life, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I think being a new mom is hard regardless. Like, we've never done this before. We don't. We feel like you don't know what you're doing. Logistically, it's just hard yes. balancing everything. Um, so looking back, it, it it's a bit of a blur, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. But I, I and I, I do wonder if that's the same for everyone when you look back and think how busy you were and you know how many layers of everything in your life. Um, the gift that that gave me was that I know I can do hard things. Mm. Um, yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it was hard, but yeah. like I can do hard things. And I think, you know, when relationships fall apart, it, it that's hard to begin with. Um, but when you have a child, it gives you like this insane sense of focus that I almost think the relationship part is a little bit easier because of that, because you have Mm. such a strong sense of purpose in that you are going to give that child whatever they need to be the person they need to be growing up. And for me, the gift was that, you know, I'm not going to compromise on what I had envisioned for 
um, my son and for me, I still wanted that same family. And so I kind of set out that, you know, nobody's going to get in my way of trying to to create and cultivate that. And so that's kind of what I did consciously or otherwise. I'm not sure if at the time it was like that intentional, but I do think that's kind of kind of what happened. Um, Balancing work um, with having a, a like he was one. I think when we were on our own, um, I had this wonderful female leader, um, a boss who, you know, I went for a while trying not to share what was going on in my personal life um, at work. But Mm -hmm. when I did, she she was so great. She said, you know, whatever, you know where you, you are needed most. And if he needs you more one day than we do here, we don't really care how you get your work done. You know where you need to be. And I always appreciated that because she gave me the permission to um, prioritize what was most Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually think that I really needed to exercise that. Like I was able to sort of make it work in sort of the traditional confines of, you know, the hours and and all of that. And this is going back to a time that was pre-pandemic when, you know, government wasn't overly flexible and that kind of thing. But I always appreciated that she gave me the permission to, to have that flexibility. And I think I stayed in that role for a long time, even long after she was gone, because I felt indebted to this organization mm-hmm. for being so supportive of me when I really, I really needed that support. So, um, but looking back, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot, I had a lot on my plate mm-hmm. at, at one time, but. I think that is such an important takeaway, that lesson I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a huge challenge that you worked through Mm -hmm. with thought and intention and keeping your personal values at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And um, I I really admire and respect all of the challenges that you've overcome and done with such grace. Um, one of the things I really wanted to ask you about is the transition in your career mm-hmm. because you established a very solid career um, working with local government and you reached a crossroads where you actually decided to venture off on your own and start your own company. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can only imagine the process internally for you in reaching that decision mm-hmm. and taking that big leap of faith. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like and have you always felt like yes that was the right thing or there are moments that you second guessed yourself along the way what's the journey been like yeah so I've been in that role for I think close to 13 years um and I could remember I could tell you every holiday I went on with my family what I was working on 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 those trips um, it was oh, like wow. a 24-7, all the time um, type of commitment. Mm-hmm. That was the role. Like, there's, it, it, you know, that, that truly what it is what it was. But, and, and there was parts of me that loved that. Like, I loved the, you know, the, the um, nature of the work. Um, you, you, there was a lot of variety. It was unpredictable. Um, you felt really needed um, because, you know, when things happen and folks rely on you, there was sort of that, you know, um, strong sense of purpose that you can help and, and fix things. Yes. Um, and so I did enjoy that. And there's probably a bit of a like an addictive component to that. Um, mm-hmm. The downside of that is that every holiday I went on, I 
was working in some ways. My brain would mm. never shut off. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel like I was overly present. Um, and after sort of 13 years, I was really, really tired. Like I'd gone through a lot of stuff in my personal life. And then, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of years of doing a lot of the same things that it was just kind of catching up with me. And it was actually, um, I had worked through Christmas and I was sick and I woke up on New Year's Day to sort of a, you know, a less than great email from a colleague that just kind of made me go new year. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And Mm. I feel like there might be something different or better out there for me. Um, And so I kind of set out that, you know what, I'm going to make a list of, you know, what's really important to me and start this year with really trying to ground myself in what I wanted to do and give myself a kind of a six month plan to say, if I come back in six months and I'm still, feeling like this yes um but I've also done a bit of work to to figure out if this is what I want to do um then I'll make a change and you know I had a a very supportive husband and my kids had seen me work so hard for so long that there wasn't any barriers to doing that um to making that leap it was just my own in terms of stepping away from security and Mm -hmm. um title um a lot of my identity was wrapped up in the work that I did and I had a lot of ownership and appreciation for the people that I worked with and really like they had also gone through what were really hard times for me personally and so I felt this sort of um indebtedness and connection with them that I was also reluctant to let go of so it was a really really hard decision I always say it kind of felt like a like like I was leaving something I loved so much Mm -hmm. but then I I look back and think um that's how you should leave things like it really wasn't worth it if you don't have that investment so the fact that it was so hard to to leave it meant that there was something really special about that time um that being said I, I didn't know what I was doing when I stepped away from it it truly was a leap of faith like I knew I wanted a break I knew I needed more balance in my life. I knew I wanted to um, grow my own leadership in my family and in my community. Um, and I needed to create space to do that. And so that was a big part of part of the decision. I think some people thought I was crazy at the time. Mm. Like it was it was a big <laughs> thing to walk away of. It was the type of job that a lot of people work their whole careers to have and, and would want. Um, and it was that, it was that type of job for me, but it just wasn't that job for me forever. And so, yeah, six, just about six years ago, I think I I left a sort of a traditional job and started Tavola and I don't, I don't have any regrets. I miss the people like immensely, but I still maintain connections with them um, and probably always will. So tell us a bit more about the name Tavola Group. Mm, Yeah. Well, it took me a long time to come up with a name. I never liked the idea of naming my company after myself like it may mean something to other people but it doesn't necessarily like evoke anything for me um so it probably took me like a year and a half to come up with the name um tavola like literally means table um but it can also mean like a tavola like come to the table the table is ready Mm. and so it's a little bit symbolic for me of a number of parts of my life um my dad built our kitchen table um, love that table yeah it's in the center of our house we that we designed around it um but tables bring people together so they you know whether it's like your kids doing homework at the kitchen table or 
board tables, coffee tables. It's where you celebrate family and celebrations and birthdays. It's where you have hard conversations about money and disagreements. Yes. And so there's all this, you know, it, it's sort of this catalyst. So it kind of, my work is largely around bringing people together and diversity of perspective and appreciating the differences and being able to have difficult um, and really positive conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in the heart of our home, it was something, you know, that my dad had created for us that is where we spend a lot of time and, you know, the whole breaking bread and sharing food, which is also a big part of my life. Um, that kind of made sense too. So that was kind of the fit and, and it, it, you know, um, I I don't know that a lot of people even know what it means or why I chose it, but it it does, it's meaningful to me in the work that I do. Yeah. I think that's just an example of something that I love and appreciate about you so much is the thought and intention that goes into all of your choices in life. And I have enjoyed many good meals around that table. <laughs> and around yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about your kids and the way that you approach family. Um, I have had the pleasure of getting to know all of your kids. Um, our boys have played hockey together over the last few years. Uh, your kids are, like by all measures of society, very successful, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they are incredibly smart and goal-oriented and all successful athletes. But beyond that, like they really are amazing people. I love engaging in conversation with every one of them. Um, they're humble but confident how how is your like personal approach or the approach that you and Grant take together to family? Um, you know what what are the thoughts and intentions that you've put into raising your family um, that you think have contributed to their success? Well, thank you for saying that to begin with, um, and we are very proud of all three of our kids. They're all very different, um, but they do work really, really hard. And um, and I think we work really well as a team to help them um, see success and navigate life, I guess. And so um, I don't know, like when I was younger, I don't think I really had a lot of intention about how I did things. Not consciously. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, you, you do what you think you're supposed to do or do what's right or what you learned from your parents. And But as I've gotten mm-hmm. older and I've had more space to kind of invest in like reflecting on what's important and how we support them as they get older, we've become definitely more intentional about mm-hmm. how we do that. Um, one of the things like because I when 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 my first marriage didn't work out, I had to do a lot of work around my own kind of mental models or um, my vision of what I thought my life was going to be like. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. because it happened, I was about 30 and it, it probably taught me that you can't control everything. um, And that the sooner you kind of give it up to the world, the, the better it's probably going to be. Yeah. Um, and I had to challenge a lot of kind of stereotypes or, or judgments I probably had about what a traditional family looked like and what um, a, a blended family mm-hmm. would look like. Mm-hmm. And I really wasn't open to like wanting to be, a, I didn't really want to be a stepmom or have stepkids or, 
you know, I wanted the, the mom, the dad, the kids, and that we did this from the start to the finish. And that's what I knew growing up. And mm-hmm. it felt like I was compromising by not having that. Mm-hmm. And so when Grant and I decided to blend our families, the big shift I had to make was, you know, it's not that I, I don't want stepkids or be a stepmom. And, and now I see what like a gift it's been to have these girls in my life yes. and to learn from them yes. and be a part of that and the responsibility that comes from that. But um, I want, I think I wanted a blend. If I was going to have a blended family, I didn't want it to feel blended. I wanted it to right. feel like we were one, like, and, and I appreciate there's other parents involved and that they're helping raise those kids too. But in terms of sort of like, what are we doing as a family together? Um, and I, and I was very, uh, I'm really upfront about that with the kids too. Like I don't want to have labels and I don't want your kids and my kids and your rules and my rules type of thing. And, and so we, Grant and I tried really hard to cultivate our, our household and our family kind of around that shared vision of that, you know, we are a team. Um, and actually we have these other people um, in their lives that are also part of the team because I attribute like the girl's success in particular to having a really great mom who, you know, has created these wonderful young women Mm -hmm. and my part is just like an add-on to that and and Grant and I do that part together um so yeah I I guess it's but you know lots of conversations um talking about your responsibility like for personal leadership Mm -hmm. and how you show up as a person and in life is really an important part of those conversations we've talked a little bit about um this thing you do called Mm -hmm. the family meeting. Um, I, one of the big reasons that Tracy and I wanted to do this podcast was obviously about sharing stories because I think there's so much power in story, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also about practical strategies in our lives that are working and sharing those because Mm -hmm. I think we can all help each other when we have open, honest conversations about what is and what isn't working in our lives. So that's something that I've asked you about a lot, and I wondered if you could share a little bit about your family meeting and what that's meant for your family and what the benefits are. Yeah, I think we started doing this three, four, maybe three or four years ago. So the kids would be like 11, uh, 17, and 20 kind of age group, and where it came from was that my parents were doing sort of their um, kind of like wealth planning and, you know, uh, estate planning for, you know, getting their um, finances and everything in order. And they had met with somebody who had said one of the most challenging parts of, you know, death and grief and, and passing on estates is that nobody ever talked about what was in the will and expectations for how they wanted their kids to sort of you know, live their lives after and that creates a lot of angst and that type of thing. And so that they were kind of recommending to, and this was actually more for families that have like a great deal of wealth, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you're inheriting a board or a company kind of thing. And, and, but I, but there was like a nugget in there of, um, what they suggested is having regular family meetings to talk about your goals for the coming year, your wishes, um, priorities, regrets, um, and little things like where should we go on our next family holiday and that type of thing. And having those conversations sort of intentionally and routinely started to um, 
I guess, nurture conversations that you might not have otherwise. Mm-hmm. But you kind of got to create the space. You're not just going to be like in the car ride home. Hey, exactly. when I die, this is what I want you to do. Um, so we planned our first one um, a couple of years ago. We didn't know how it was going to go. We said we would call it the family meet weekend meeting or family meeting weekend. We made an itinerary. It was, I think, two nights. And we wrapped a whole bunch of fun stuff around it. So what are some, like, we went, we left town. We um, got tickets to a hockey game, I think. We planned some nice dinners. We got dressed up. So, you know, we did family photos. It was kind of like this fun family weekend. But the Sunday is set aside for the actual, like, formality of the meeting. And so we go to a, a nice place. We're there for two or three hours. We have a very clear agenda. Um, you know, what are your proudest achievements of the past year? Um, do you have any regrets? Um, what are your goals for the coming year? And how can we support you in doing that? And then we add on things like, you know, considerations related to the will. Um, you know, if, are there things that of, of mine that you would like to have that are special to you that you'd like set out? Um, where should we go on our next family holiday? And how will we give back to the community mm-hmm. in the coming year? And that's wow. kind of the simple kind of agenda. And to be honest, our kids love it. Um, we love it. It's become sort of like the one thing that we know we will do this year when everybody's got competing schedules mm-hmm. and that we largely mm-hmm. time it at the end of the year, right before Christmas or right before the new year. And then we, we take minutes and we circulate that. And then we also have a sort of a happiness jar or a joy jar that on the kind of daily that we all put in post-it notes, you know, individually. And we pull that joy jar out at the start of the meeting and we walk through and, you know, it's everything from, I love carrot cake. I love mom's carrot cake to, um, you know, I was this campfires were great or that trip to that place kind of thing just the kind of like moments Mm -hmm. and so and the Mm -hmm. kids say that's one of their favorite parts of of the agenda but it's also been nice because we like I can share stuff with the kids that during the year like often you're going through stuff but it's not really stuff that you're going to break down with them in detail or confide in them about but once you've worked through it it creates that um opportunity to kind of talk about Mm -hmm. how that went the piece about community and contributing or giving back to community, I think is such an important piece and such a meaningful lesson to teach our kids, but it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. Because they are so busy, their schedules are packed so full, mm-hmm. um, their lives are really focused around them and their school mm-hmm. and their sports and their mm-hmm. achievements. So how do you create the space for giving back to community what does that look like um it's a couple of things and it's nothing um like overly um substantial or I think I think a big part of it is just having the conversation to begin with um we allocate a small amount of money each year to like a cause Mm -hmm. or an organization that's important to us. Um, and then it's how we spend our time. So, um, you know, each Christmas we adopt a family that we um, understand, you know, each member of the family, they what they like and, mm-hmm. and what they don't like. And then everyone in the family contributes to setting out to get things off their wish list. And we deliver it as a family wow. to that family's home. And, you know, there's a lot of anonymous um 
programs like that. But for yeah. us, it's like sometimes the system is so big that, you know, you donate money and it feels like, it, how do I know if it went anywhere? It's just right. like a drop in this giant ocean. But with that one, it's like our family can make sure at least one other family, one family that's similar to ours in some way, um, that they have a Christmas mm -hmm. that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And every time we do it, our, our, like the kids just are like, can't believe how, like the gratitude that comes from that act. Wow. And it is, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's in some ways like so stark, but in other ways it, you know, and if that makes them more grateful for how blessed they are, then that's part of it. So true. Yeah. But that also came from the team I worked with before I left government. And we used to do that as a team mm. and, and it was a real positive thing that we did together. And then we've ex extended it now in our family to include, you know, my in-laws and, you know, my nieces and nephews, and they've all joined into this as well. And that's kind of like the building community around it. Like there's a contagion factor. I think the more you do it. I love that. That's really powerful. Uh, we've, we've joked about this <laughs> over the years when we're, um, together watching a hockey game. I'm, I'm the one who, uh, is often fired up in the stands <laughs> about a bad call by the ref or a dirty hit. And you're the, we're the yin and the yang. Yeah. You're the calm grounding force. But genuinely, I just, I want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, we've been talking a lot in the podcast about this being a time of a big reflection for me, just with the age and stage mm -hmm. that our kids are at. I find myself, yeah, looking back a lot over these last several years of raising kids and um, working on my marriage. And I don't like to to live in a space of regret. It's not mm -hmm. a word that's mm -hmm. often part of my vocabulary, but you know, if I'm really honest with myself, mm -hmm. I would have to say that I think my biggest regret, um, I'm getting emotional, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, like you, I have a full life mm -hmm. and I say yes to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I like to pack my schedule full. I work, motherhood, volunteering. Yeah. Um, and with that can come a lot of stress at certain moments in time, feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I have been working on and continue to work on is that in those moments where I feel stressed or overwhelmed, I can be reactive and mm -hmm. I can take that out on the people closest to me, mm -hmm. my kids and my mm -hmm. husband. Um, or the other team at a hockey game. Or the other team at a hockey game. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> uh, and I think that that reactivity, uh, it it is probably the biggest barrier to meaningful connection mm -hmm. with my kids and my husband, if I'm really, really honest. is That is the one thing I think that gets in the way for me and it's the one regret I would say that I have and yeah you know there's a side where I like to joke that I'm just a passionate person mm -hmm. uh, but I truly genuinely admire about you that you manage a very full schedule a lot of competing priorities and you do it with such grace you're calm and level-headed mm -hmm. and thoughtful and intentional 
I aspire to be more like that. <laughs> Genuinely, I really admire that about you. Can you talk about that? Do you think that's just the way you're wired? Does that come naturally? Or are there certain strategies that you put into place to approach life that way? It's funny that you see that as like a regret or a barrier because I like, and we are, we are quite different that way. Like you are an emotional reactor and I am not. And, but there is definitely somewhere in between that, that I think is the sweet spot. My whole family is, is quite calm. They, they, they don't get too fired up or excited, you know, not, no, no big highs, no big lows. Um, so I think there's a sort of a natural, um, tendency for me to be that way. And then I think my work is you're often working on sort of high stress, um, issues, problems, um, and your job is to come in and try and find a way through them. So you, you're kind of looking for the light mm-hmm. when everything's like, you know, churning around you. And, and I really love that work. So you kind of like have to look at all of the components. Like there's a bit of a mindfulness that comes yes. from considering all the perspectives and then finding a path out of it. And so I typically probably wouldn't be very good at this work if I was, if I was mm-hmm. adding stress to the situation, mm-hmm. I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have the clients I have. Um, but that being said, I think that I underreact and I think sometimes it can be misinterpreted. Like one of my challenges is I feel like I don't have sometimes the most immediate human reaction that I should have to certain things that are happening Mm -hmm. because I've learned these mechanisms for not doing that. Right. Wow, and so like, I appreciate your, I like it when you react to things. I always know where you, you stand. I know how you feel about things. I know what you're passionate about. I don't know that other people would know that about me. Like I think, so for me, it's sometimes like, you know, how can I, how can I drill into that mm. more readily? So I don't, I don't think one is good or bad, but it's definitely my superpower. I think I... Absolutely. <laughs> I'm known for it. It is. Sure it is. <laughs> it is. Well, I really appreciate and admire that about you. And I think it's yeah, it's just really interesting to have this conversation mm-hmm. because, yeah, we can be hard on ourselves mm-hmm. about those things that mm-hmm. we look at as flaws or weaknesses, but there is, there's a flip side to it, right? Mm-hmm. It can be a strength 100%. or a superpower. Yeah. Okay, do you want to dive into some closing connection questions? Um, What is one thing, Katie, you are learning to let go of in order to become more of who you want to be? I think there's, I have like an ongoing uh, commitment to sort of not letting perfect get in the way of good. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know, letting go of what, how it was supposed to be or what it's supposed to be like or what people will think and knowing that if, as long as you're moving in the right direction, you're, you're doing things well. Um, I recently read um, Atomic Habits by James Mm, Clear. mm -hmm. And he has this one line that just so resonates for me. And it's that every action you take is a vote towards the type of person you want to become. That one hit me too. Yeah, right? And yeah. I, it's just like something so practical. So it, whether it's like, should I go to the gym or should I not go to the gym? Or whether it's like checking yourself against behaviors, it, it's just like, hang on, that, that's not consistent with where I'm trying to be. And so exactly. I think that's something that um, just letting go of like all of the things that don't contribute to being the person and creating the life that you're looking to have. Love it. 
What would you say are a few simple things in life that bring you joy? Um, simple thing. Well, I mean, obviously your family, yes. your friends. Um, for me, I think I find that like when I need to ground myself, it's things like gardening, like mm -hmm. getting like it almost sounds cliche, but like getting your hands dirty, being mm -hmm. outside, fresh air. It's it, and to be honest, for so long I never did any of those things, so I still feel like I actually feel like not guilt, but um, like so fortunate sometimes that in the past five to six years of not being in a full time job that I've had the ability to take more time to do little things that I had not done for, you know, mm -hmm. 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds crazy. That's, it just seems so crazy to me that I, I was able to, to block all of those little things. But um, yeah, so it's kind of exciting to actually just have time to do stuff like that. Yes. Um, what would you say is your go-to practice for your own mental and emotional well-being and making that a priority in your life? I mean, it really is just that making time to do it and, mm -hmm. and being conscious about it. I, I think as I get older and your kids get older and, you know, you start to look at how much time you have, um, like health and, and what you can contribute in that time just becomes so important. Like it's not yes. at all anymore about, you know, how what size you are or what the numbers say or you know, money or any of that. It's just, how can I be as healthy and present as possible for as long as possible? Absolutely. Like, that is the goal. Um, so anything that kind of contributes to that. Love it. Is there one person that you could say you'd love to have a life conversation with? I knew you were going to ask mm -hmm. this and I struggled with it a little bit. I've been so fortunate because I still have my parents. Um, you know, I still have my grandmother. She's 96 this year. Um, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I feel like I've had a lot of time with a lot of people yeah. who are really important to me. But I think the one person would be my grandfather. Um, he died about 20 years ago. And I, I don't know because I was so much younger. Um, I, of my two sets of grandparents, one was sort of like the traditional work in a long time job for a long, you know, get the pension and, and you know, everyone mm -hmm. knew where he worked and his, he had a lot of identity attached to that. And then my other grandfather was very entrepreneurial and he like reinvented himself a number of times. He was very successful, but he had like a high tolerance for risk and trying new things. And right. I, because I was so young, I don't think I ever really understood or learned from my grandfather that, you know, was sort of self-employed. And I sort of, his legacy was kind of passed on through my dad, even though as a son-in-law, um, that he had always encouraged him to like take risks sooner and to look at how you could do things differently mm -hmm. than these sort of traditional ways. And I, I feel like my dad has passed that along, but I never got that directly from him. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that would be who I would spend some time with. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. Truly, every time I'm with you, I do learn something new. You make me think about things in a different way. Um, you just have such a positive presence. You always listen without judgment. You always have some bit of insight or wisdom to offer. And I just genuinely appreciate so much doing life with you and your friendship. And 
I think we'll need to have you back for another conversation <laughs> soon. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm sorry we missed Tracy this time. Yeah. But um, if we do this again, we'll, we'll get to spend some time with her. But thank you. And I just think I'm so proud of you for, for creating the space for these types of conversations. And I think, you know, you're kind of rumbling with your your vulnerability by, by you know, dipping mm. your toe into having these types of conversations. But I don't actually think we have these conversations enough. Like we talk about the daily struggles, but not, mm-hmm. not all the stuff that goes into our thinking and our longer term planning, I guess, for who we are and who we want to be. Yeah, I truly have been getting so much out of these conversations. I look forward to it every time. So mm-hmm. thank you for being a part of this. And thanks to all of you for listening to Life Conversations. We'll see you next time.